Good morning, Sun Valley Church, and welcome back to The Voice of the Valley. As always, I am your host, Jeremy Pinch, and with me today, I have Pastor Rick Whitmer. He started this series, and now he's uh, he's finishing it. So Wow, that is poetic. Yeah, it was. It is an honor. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad, uh, glad you're with us this morning, and we're going to finish out the uh, Doctrines of Grace series. Uh, more commonly known as Calvinism, and we're going to talk about the uh, final doctrine, and that would be preserving grace. Also referred to by me as the doctrine that gets me up in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> I mean it. I really do. This is yeah. a beautiful, beautiful truth. Yeah. Yeah, I'm excited to uh, talk about it, and uh, it seems like out of all these doctrines, this one is the least controversial, and yet... People will go to great lengths to disprove even this doctrine. You know, the last four, you know, people will, will go throughout Scripture and, and try to prove that election's not true. God is not a loving God if yeah. if election's true. Um, and so they they want to really try to stamp out the doctrines of grace. Um, and so they'll they'll even do this um, with preserving grace. Oh, absolutely. I mean, when you we talked in that first podcast about um, the disciples of Jacob Arminius yeah. and uh, they the five points of Arminianism um, to which the church responded with the canons of Dort, right? And point for point, right? And so it really is a central tenet of <laughs> um, a human centered Christianity, which mm. is which is I believe a false. Uh, view of salvation and God's sovereignty that that says that because man is uh, an important part of his salvation, he therefore is responsible for keeping it right. um, ultimately. And that's just it's a dangerous and um, joy-sucking view. Right. And, and it's unbiblical, which is the most important thing yeah. that I can say about it. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. So, Rick, let's let's uh, start off by talking about what is preserving grace. Yeah, so preserving grace, uh, also known as the perseverance of the saints, is probably the way that most people know it. Um, but but I like the way that you referred to it, and it's the way I refer to it also as preserving grace. And it, it's simply what it sounds like that that the God who has um, chosen from eternity to save and actually redeem through Jesus Christ undeserving sinners, not because there was anything good in them, but simply because of his love and his grace. Uh, He also will preserve them by that same grace to the end so that they will not fall away and they will not apostatize. They will not reject Christ and they will be saved unto the end Mm. because our salvation starts... uh, I mean, from an eternal perspective, it started with God's decree of election in yeah. eternity before creation, but we experience that salvation in time as the work of Christ is applied to us by the Holy Spirit. But but that's not the end. Once we're in you know, the kingdom of heaven, um, which begins now, eternal life begins now, um, God will see it through. And so it has the end, which is glorification, um, and he'll bring us all the way home. Yeah. By grace. That's preserving grace. Yeah. God will bring us all the way home. Yeah. That it, it, going through this series has has reminded me multiple times like it, to God be the glory, right? Yes. Like we were we were depraved and out of love he predestined us for adoption as sons and he accomplished that through Christ's work. And you can just see that that God is the one doing the work 
which is is so refreshing and it should be for all of us who believe this truth so yes absolutely yeah so where where are some passages in scripture um that we see this idea of uh preserving grace yeah um I think one place that we can start is by recognizing that the, that the Bible does teach that we must persevere uh, in our salvation. We must keep going. We see that in Colossians. Um, the Apostle Paul says that you, uh, verse chapter 1, verse 21, you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast. So preserving grace does not deny that we must persevere. You know, when Paul says you will be presented holy and blameless if you continue in the faith, he means it. That's not a false um, contingency there. Um, we must continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. Um, the question of preserving grace comes in and says, is it possible for someone who is saved to not continue in the faith and to then fall away? Um you know, this is what a huge concern of the author of Hebrews, um, when he writes to a people who were being tempted because of uh, persecution and hardship to go back to Judaism in order to continue in their salvation. And he says to them in Hebrews three twelve 12 um, and through 14, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Mm-hmm. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. So again, we have to hold our confidence firm to the end. We must hold on to Christ um, unless we fall away from the living God. Now, that's, that's looking at the perseverance of the saints from a human aspect, if you will what we must do. But here's the underlying beauty of the doctrines of grace, especially when it comes to how that perseverance works. We recognize that as much as we must hold on to Christ, we who are in Christ will because he holds on to us. Okay? (laughs) That's preserving grace. He holds on to us. Jesus was talking to a group of Jews in uh, John 6, And he says to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me. That's irresistible grace. That's sovereign election. Okay, All who he gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. It's preserving grace. For for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. It's why we call it, it's why Jesus calls it eternal life, because once we have life, it is eternal. It will not be lost because Jesus always does the Father's will, which he just says here in this passage, is to lose nothing of all that the Father has given to him. John 10, he says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. 
I and the Father are one. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, as a as a teenager, I went through a, a very dark season of doubting my salvation, thinking that I had lost it. Um, and I went to that passage, and I found comfort, but I also found for myself doubt because I thought, okay, great, no one can snatch me out of God's hand, but maybe I can jump out of his hand myself. Maybe I can walk out. Sure. Sure. And that completely <laughs> undercuts what Jesus is saying in this passage and in all these other passages that no, no one, and that includes you, the almighty Rick, not, you know, can take yourself, no one can take you out of the Father's hand yeah. because of what he has done. And then I'm just going to, you know, we could go on with so many passages and I, and I don't want to overquote, um, but I do want to read one more and it's First Peter 1, 3 through 5, because this is just so clear so clear. He says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope. So there's sovereign grace, right? He has caused us to be born to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. So it's there for us. Now, will we get there or is it possible not to? Well, verse 5 says, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So God began our salvation and he will keep it by his power, it says. Mm. It's unfading. So that's that's just some of the, the great places where we see this doctrine in scripture. Yeah, yeah. That's such a great reminder. Such a great reminder. Yeah. But there's going to be people, as as mentioned earlier, there's going to be people who will go to different portions of Scripture to try to disprove this doctrine. What what are some passages that people might go to to, to challenge this idea of preserving grace? Oh, and it's almost like, are you kidding me? If that... <laughs> Having seen what we just saw, it's a pretty good deal. Who wants to challenge that? Like, <laughs> yeah. that's yeah. it's a pretty sweet deal. But yeah. you're right; there are some major challenges um, to that, and there are denominations within the church who steadfastly maintain that you can lose your own salvation. And um, a couple of the major passages that that people will go to to show that are in Hebrews. Mm. Um, now, what we have to understand is what the author of Hebrews is doing. Um, he is he's looking at uh, Jewish Christians um, who are in, in crisis. Their faith is being severely challenged. Um, they're going through what would be called the Lord's discipline in chapter 12. Um, they're not yet, the author says, to the point of shedding their blood. Um, but but it's a harsh situation, and the temptation was go back to the religious system of the Mosaic Law um, because that won't raise as much objection from those who are persecuting us. Yeah. And the author is looking at those people who are trying to decide whether or not to essentially walk away from the gospel after they've already embraced it. And he is warning them, and he is he's pulling no punches. And so we have some of the scariest passages in Scripture right. for Christians in that book. But the context is important, because what he does in each situation, 
is he, he does not say that you can fall away if you are in the faith. In fact, he says, but I have better hopes for you. And so one of these touchstone passages that people will use to kind of um, try to challenge this doctrine of preserving grace is Hebrews 6. Um, Beginning in verse 4, it says, For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up to contempt. Um, Mm. For the land, and then he gives an illustration from agriculture, which is something that we here in Yakima can understand. For the land that has drunk the rain that has often fallen on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it was cultivated receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Now, on the face of it, this looks like it might be describing believers, but we understand that it's not. And we know that because of um, the language he uses here. And then he says in verse 9, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. Mm -hmm. And so the warning comes for those who have been affiliated with the church, who have experienced the benefits of the gospel, in the body of Christ. So, for example, those who have once been enlightened would be those who have who have come to understand what the gospel means. That's an enlightening thing to have, is, is the knowledge of what the gospel is. Who have tasted the heavenly gift, um, who have participated in the Holy Spirit, which is, being part of the church, you're participating in the Holy Spirit, because week by week you are receiving the benefits of the spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit has given to the body of Christ right. as they're serving you, as they're proclaiming the truth to you, and as the preacher is prophesying the word of God um, in the sermon, all those things. These are all the benefits that come along with being associated with the church. But we also know that not everybody who is in the church is the church. Right. And this is why we'll refer to the church visible, which is everybody who calls themselves Christian or who is, is part of the church um, externally, right? But then there's the, the church invisible or the church from God's perspective, which is the, the smaller number of not just those who call themselves Christians or who go to church, but, but for those who are actually Christians, right? who are the church. right? And that's to whom the author says, we have better confidence for you, things that have to do with salvation. Because for the others who have been exposed to the gospel and then fall away, what else is left? There's no other means for them to be saved except by the same gospel that they've heard and then walked away from. Um, You know, there's a passage in Hebrews 10, I won't go to it right now, but it's the same basic idea. But another one, you know, Psalm 51, when David is praying after having committed sin with Bathsheba, and then he says, cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. You know, that's a pretty scary verse. Because if you don't understand the context there, it might look like we can re- kind of cross a line and, and sin in such a way that God will leave us. Right. And we have to understand that for David in the Old Testament, they did not experience the Holy Spirit the way that we in the church do after Pentecost. The Holy Spirit indwells us, each and every believer. Right. 
But that's never been the teaching in the Old Testament because it was a different situation. And, and what David, as the, as the king of Israel, a theocratic nation, he experienced what the leaders of, of Israel from, you know, Moses, Joshua, the judges, Saul even, even though he wasn't saved, uh, David, they experienced what, what's called the theocratic anointing. And so God had given them a ministry of the Holy Spirit to lead his people, Israel, sure. who were a nation governed by God himself. And so when he says, take not your Holy Spirit from me, he's, he's asking that the anointing, the theocratic anointing would not be taken from him. It, it does not refer to a believer crossing a line and losing the seal of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. yeah. But those are just a couple of the main passages that people would try to point to, to undermine the yeah. doctrine. So, Rick, I, we're similar in the sense that uh, I think we tend to be legalists, I think. You mean you and me? Yeah. Okay. Uh, me, me more, I was trying to more keep so that under wraps. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I, I mean, I, I tend to be, I tend to be legalistic in a lot of ways, um, and that's that's a battle that you have to wage war against. But why, why would preserving grace bring relief to someone who's naturally <laughs> a legalist? So a legalist um, looks to the works of the law or um, good works or performance, personal performance as the barometer of, of their spirituality, of their relationship with God and of their Christianity. A legalist um, who doesn't perform well enough, which would be a hundred percent of us, um, is always in spiritual crisis, is always questioning um, the work of God in their life because they just can't be good enough. Right. But in the gospel, especially as it's communicated to us in the doctrines of grace, um, <laughs> we know that we can't ever be good enough, but Jesus is. That's the point of the gospel. Yeah. Jesus is our perfect righteousness. And so if our salvation doesn't come down to being kept by our performance, we're now free to respond with thankful joy to the Lord instead of constantly doing, doing, doing to obtain his pleasure, we do, do, do from a place of rest in Jesus because he is the Father's pleasure and he is in us and we are united to him. And so preserving grace crucifies legalism because we know that our performance has absolutely nothing to do with God's favor on us and it has nothing to do with whether or not he will keep us to the end. That's good news. That is good news. That is good news, especially if you if you come out of that that movement that says you know you can lose your salvation, and so looking at preserving grace and going, wow, well there's nothing I can do to keep that. He's gonna do be the one doing the work in me, and and oh, and, man. and there's a parts that we play right, but oh yeah, but. Uh, just having that that reminder that he's he's keeping that work until the end. He does, yeah. you know. And people who come out of legalistic um, denominations who who have been taught through fear that they better do enough right. and better be good, otherwise they might lose their salvation. There's a reason why. There's a real temptation for them to to struggle with bitterness and anger, because once they realize just how good God is, they look at what they were taught and they and they just respond with 
just anger because they were duped and scared wrongfully all this time. Because right. um, that's poison. And so those people need to be on guard against on those things and realize that God's grace is good and he's got them. Yeah. He has all of us. So there's there's been people throughout uh, church history, uh, biblical history, um, who've had some pretty big fallouts. Uh, people that you would go, were they actually saved? <laughs> you know, you think of Lot, right? You think oh, of yeah. his his fallouts. You think of um, Solomon and his fallouts. Um, there's there's people that we we go like, okay, were they actually? You know, are they actually going to be in heaven? Um, <laughs> because they were bums. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's almost like they've they meet this standard, right? And then they've crossed it, and so you know, and they just tank. They they tank. Yeah. yeah. Um, but there's a great passage in Hebrews, uh, the great hall of faith, mm-hmm. that says otherwise, right? Right. Um. Yeah. So what can we learn from these these men and women throughout, you know, biblical history? Um, what can we learn from them to be more dependent upon upon Christ, to be more dependent upon the Spirit, um, that he will bring to completion that which he began in us? Man, so, yeah, because we have examples on both sides. We have examples of people who started well and totally tanked, and the Bible's not really you know, too confused on the state of their souls. Right. We think of King Saul, how he began well, but then pretty quickly he tanked and then um, went into the occult, um, to spiritists, and and just ended in a total burn. And, and you know, I don't really think there's any indication there that he was saved. Um, Judas, another guy, one of the 12, yeah. an apostle chosen by Jesus himself, who then is called the son of perdition, who is lost. Yeah. And you, you, you think, well, I've never walked with Jesus physically for three years, and then, um, <laughs> you know, and then walked away. And that's a pretty sobering example to us. Right. And so you have those examples, but then you have like the ones uh, like David, who who tanked with Bathsheba, uh, Abraham, who, who uh, just is a coward sometimes. Um, And yet consistently scripture says that because of their faith um, in God, you know, they are declared righteous, which is the gospel. And so we look at those things. And I think the first response we should have is humility, because if they can fall, how easily can we fall? And yet uh, to also take heart because God has not let any of his children go from Genesis to Revelation or any point in church history. You think of the the epic sins of Martin Luther. Um, yeah. he, he ended as a bitter racist against Jews. Yeah. Um, and yet he is a testament of God's preserving <sighs> grace. Um, so humility, um, recognizing that we too are liable to sin. And, and I think fear, the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom, and so we should not est- we should not overestimate our abilities. Um, we should lean more heavily into the grace of God, 
when we consider those examples. And then also take heart that we are not alone. You know, like Hebrews calls them um, the cloud of witnesses. So we're surrounded by men and women who have gone before us, who have screwed up big time, just the way that we do, (laughs) and yet made it because God kept them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that, that chapter is, is, so reassuring because there's there's some names in there that are just like really like yeah. he actually made it <laughs> like, <laughs> we didn't think he'd graduate yeah yeah the yeah. gpa was really low at the end yeah yeah <laughs> but uh just you know god's faithfulness yeah know, in their lives mm. I mean, yeah that's a reassuring chapter yeah um, so as we conclude this study of the doctrines of grace rick what are what are some takeaways that you would have for for the people. Yeah, just about all the doctrines, um, kind of just closing out this whole tulip series. Yeah, um, yeah I have six, and uh, I want to make them memorable, so I've got two W's, two H's, and two S's, okay? First, this whole thing is about the glory of God, so worship, worship. The doctrines of grace lead us to worship, because we're not the ones who save ourselves. We are not the ones who will preserve ourselves. Our salvation is of grace from beginning to end, and so, like the, uh, the author of Hebrews says again, you know, here in chapter 12, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. Um, let us be grateful, he says in, in 1228, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We know that God is all we have, mm-hmm. and it's his grace alone that saves us. And so we worship him in a, a spirit of thankfulness. Next, um, if we know that God's grace is what saves us from beginning to end, let's witness. So we got worship. We, let's witness um, and tell others about him. You know, we've got this evangelism seminar coming up this summer, how to witness to people in our daily lives. Um, this is the whole idea. And it's not insignificant that Paul in Romans 10 is writing on the heels of having just exposited the doctrine of election in Romans 9. Yeah. And then he says, how then will they call on him of whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? So let's worship God in a spirit of thankfulness. Let's witness to his sovereign grace, because that's the means that in his sovereignty he has ordained to draw all those elect people for who Jesus died. It's always through the witness of other people. Next, humility. We ought to be the most humble people. Um, People who come to embrace the doctrines of grace and are are labeled as Calvinists oftentimes are seen as arrogant, (laughs) proud, elitist, and what some have described as, uh, especially when they first come out of it, cage stage Calvinists. They're just ready to get in the the cage, (laughs) ultimate fighting in a championship theological division with uh, any Arminian that they come across, um, and then just take them to the mat (laughs) gloves off and we will pummel them with scripture no let us not do that (laughs) there is nothing about us that has any merit and so we ought to be a humble people and we have to be happy people if god has saved us and he preserves us you know i meant it this is the doctrine that gets me up in the morning let's be a happy people a joyful people and then let's be a striving people 
Philippians 2, 12 through 13 shows this tension of God's preserving grace and our hard, hard work. Paul says, therefore, my beloved, as you've always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. He doesn't say keep your own salvation. He says work it out. As God is saving you, as he has saved you and will save you, as he's bringing you home, in essence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So if we know that God preserves us, what better reason is there to fight against our sin, to strive for holiness, and to add all these virtues that Peter talks about in 2 Peter 1, 5 through 11. So we worship, we witness, we be humble, we be happy, we strive, and then we sleep. Mm. We sleep. We, we strive as if we kept our own salvation, and then we sleep deeply at night because we know that we don't. And God has us, you know, in peace, I will both lie down and sleep because you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. That's what David said in Psalm 4. It's one of the first verses I teach my kids when they're afraid at night. Mm. In peace, I will both lie down and sleep because you you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. And then probably a fitting conclusion to this whole series is um, the benediction from Sunday, um, or the the past Sunday before we were recording this, uh, 1 Thessalonians 5. 23 and 24, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So how do you honor the grace of God? Worship, witness, humility, happiness, striving, and sleeping. So that's just six things. There's many more, but we got to (laughs) stop. Well, thanks, Rick, for uh, closing out this series on the doctrines of grace. I think it's been a uh, beneficial study, at least it has been for me. I've been yeah. encouraged through uh, these last five weeks of studying. And uh, yeah, I hope you have too, uh, Sun Valley Church, as we've gone through this. Uh, I hope that you have seen the grace of God uh, in your life and the lives of others and uh, that you would strive as Rick was just saying, and rest in, in that knowledge that God is God is in control. Um, in a few weeks, we're going to start a book study series on this podcast. Uh, we have purchased a few books uh, for the bookshelf, and we would encourage you to pick up a copy. Um, it's called Astonished by God by John Piper. And we will go through this book uh, chapter by chapter, uh, one chapter a week and uh, discuss the contents within it. And uh, I'm excited about that book and uh, what we will learn from it. But I would encourage you to uh, pick up a copy on the bookshelf and uh, read it with your family, read it with your wife, um, and just take in the little nuggets of knowledge that uh, uh, John Piper has. So um, we're looking forward to that. Church, we love you. Uh, We look forward to being with you on Sunday and next week on the Voice of the Valley. Have a great day.